1: SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com.
2: Pharrell has taken over. Last up, it's Pharrell. Coast the coast.
0: Stakes, chicks, stacks. You and I are gonna make a lot of money. It's Pharrell, coast to coast.
2: Yes, sir. We are back here, coast to coast. Keith Irizarry in for Scott Pharrell. Whole crew is here. Mafia is in the house. Carver High is in the house. And all of you, thanks for watching and for listening to us all afternoon long. I'll be with you all week long and with us as always like we said our guy mafia gonna come on now help us kind of break down what's going on in the world of boxing and mma uh let's start with um uh the middleweight and the light heavyweight and there's some movement right now for I- yes. israel Adesanya. W- what what are we seeing here right now what's he talking about
3: well we heard over the weekend dana white said that adesani's next fight would be at light heavyweight of course the middleweight champ just beat paulo costa uh, in a very dominating fashion, Kosta was undefeated, 13-0 coming into that, and said he was going to you know beat him up. Adesanya uh, so picked him apart and finished him. And now, you know, he'd always said he wanted to finish the 185 division, he wanted to clean out the division. And then Rob Whitaker, the weekend after, comes out and gets another dominating win over Cannoneer, who was a guy who was in the running for the next contender in that division at 185. So since he beat uh, Whitaker a year ago, Adesanya apparently decided, you know what, I don't need to finish out the division anymore because, you know, I don't need to fight a rematch against Whitaker. Even though he looked great his last two fights, much better than he did against Adesanya. He said, you know what, it's not worth my time. And he decided to move up to 205 and now fight Jan Blachowicz, the newly crowned champ of light heavyweight, even though he's going back and forth with John Jones on Twitter and trashing each other on social media. He's not going up at light heavyweight to fight John Jones, who, of course, vacated that belt, then went to, you know, allegedly going to heavyweight, although we still haven't heard who he's fighting. And then he talked about maybe jumping back down and taking his belt when Blachowicz won it. So it's not the fight that we wanted with him against Jones. It's him against Blahovic, which I think is just a, b- a bad move. I don't like it because, first of all, you know, you're not fighting the guy that we want in Jones. I don't care about you and Blahovich. You guys don't have a bad blood history. That's nothing. This guy barely, you know, has won the belt. He just got it. And now all of a sudden you're going to go and try to have this super fight. It doesn't have, this, doesn't have the same juice at all as it would have if you were fighting Jones and it puts the middleweight you know situation in limbo and the light heavyweight you know all those guys that are gonna be waiting for that belt it's always dangerous you know it's nice when you have a situation where a guy can go up and win two belts as you have the super fight and you know it's an amazing thing for them they love it they've done it a bunch of times now but it ruins the divisions you know if the guy does win that belt well now you have two guys you know two divisions in limbo two challengers that are waiting for the same person god forbid he gets hurt and doesn't fight two three four times in a year now all of a sudden you have the whole division waiting and you have interim belts it just ruins things a lot so i think he's going to beat blowers pretty badly i don't like that fight at all and you see that in the odds he's minus 250 already from once they announced it i just think it's a bad move If you're going to move up go fight john jones otherwise stay and you know fight whitaker or fight some of these other guys it's just not worth it to go fight for He doesn't have the same cachet as john jones does for a mega fight
2: what do you think the biggest reason why it's not going to be jones
3: well, Jones vacated the belt. He says he's moving up to heavyweight. So as far as we know, you know, until we hear otherwise, besides his Twitter posts of maybe I'll just jump back and grab my belt, if you guys don't mind, we know that he's apparently going to move up to heavyweight. So they're waiting to see. They're probably waiting for the contracts. Of course, a lot of uh, the issues with him has been about money. He wants more money all the time, even though he can barely get into the cage because he's getting arrested and doing stupid things off the, uh, the, the cage or off the court, you know, I was going to say, but off the field, off the court, out of the cage, however you want to term it. When he's not fighting, he's an idiot. He's a moron. He's constantly getting in trouble. So we're still, whether it's waiting on that to see if any of those charges come back and bite him from when he was you know, pulled over for his third DUI and had the gun in the car in Albuquerque or whether it's, you know, them just not wanting to give him the money that he wants. It's an issue where we're waiting on to see what's going on with him and see his mental states because, you know, it's been all over the place with that, too. So who knows what's going on right now with him in limbo kind of between divisions.
2: Habib had an emotional conversation after his win just two weeks ago and uh, said that he's stepping away. He's done. He's retiring. Uh, I know that I'm skeptic of that. I don't believe that he's going to be stepping away. Dana White uh, seems to agree with me. I want to remind everybody, uh, welcoming everyone in on our radio uh, audience as well. I am Keith Urizari coast coast. With me, Mafia and Carver High as always. But back into Habib, where do you sit? Do you really believe that he's done and he's stepping away?
3: I think that, at best, you're getting one more fight of him. Now, you know, you've heard Dana say that he's going to leave him as a champ. They're not going to have this, you know, interim belt or this, you know, regular title fight. They're not going to crown a new lightweight champ, as we talked about. Maybe that happening, you know, in previous weeks with maybe Poirier and Connor in January being a new title fight for that division. He says they're not going to do that. You know, that they're going to leave it in the hands of Khabib, that he's talked to him since. And that you know he's gonna, Khabib's gonna talk to his mom. He's gonna figure it out. You know, Khabib's always talked about 30-0 you know, being a very big number for him. You know that his father always brought that up as, you know, going out undefeated and maybe you know getting to 30-0 you know, and then calling it quits. So that maybe he comes back for another fight. I mean, still, even if that's the case, you're hoping that he comes back for one more and then you're back in the same scenario that you're in right now. It's a very interesting predicament that they're in. Uh, Daniel Cormier, who's his teammate, and now does you know all the commentating for ESPN, the pay-per-views, and for also he does you know shows with. Ariel Hawane talked about talking to him and that, you know, maybe he could come back and maybe it works out that Conor beats Poirier and then you, you throw a bunch of money at him and say, hey, fight Conor and Abu Dhabi as your last fight, you know, at the end of next year and see if that draws him out. I just don't think he has the same drive as these guys where it's not about the money for him. I think it's about, you know, the undefeated record. I think it's about the respect and just the love of the sport. I think, you know, seeing a guy like Anderson Silva, who we talked about yesterday about how he's tarnished his legacy over the last seven years, getting beaten by every, you know, Tom – Nick and Harry coming through, I think that Khabib sees that and says, you know what, I don't want that to be me. I don't want to be Fedor where I'm the greatest ever, and then all of a sudden I start getting knocked out by everybody. He wants to go out on top, so why risk it by coming back when you're already the number one pound for pound and maybe the greatest ever in a lot of people's minds?
2: Uh, last thing really fast, Deontay Wilder is, is saying that Tyson Fury may have uh, boxed him with uh, loaded gloves. Uh, I was there for, for the first fight. Obviously, watch the second Well, What do you make of Wilder's comments?
3: I uh, make it as excuses. This is just him, you know, bitter <laughs> because he's not getting his rematch. He complained that he had all this, you know, heavy equipment on his little dress that he had coming in, all the, the crown and stuff was too much, and that drained him. Now all of a sudden the gloves are loaded. He's just upset because Fury's moved on. He's not gonna get that title because it makes no sense to do it with no fans. So he's saying, you know what? I beat you really well. I'm moving on, I'm playing Joshua.
2: Mafia, you're awesome with we'll go back to football next. Either is Aaron, Coast. <laughs>
4: Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Back here on Coast to Coast, I am Keith Arizari with you. Joining me now is Sam Monson, Pro Football Focus, NFL analyst on Twitter. It's PFF underscore Sam. Sam, what's up, man? How you doing?
5: Doing good. How about you?
2: I'm good man. I'm loving these rookie quarterbacks and from from a, a grade standpoint, how are they grading out when you look at Herbert, Burrow, and I know it's just, you know, a, a little bit of a test right now for Tua just one week, but how are they all kind of grading out?
5: I mean, Herbert and Burrow are both grading extremely well. Both those guys look fantastic. They're they're grading amongst the better quarterbacks in the NFL, not quite up there with the very top, given um, the sort of the bad parts of their game. But what's amazing is they're coming at it from almost completely different ends of the spectrum stylistically. So they're ending up in very similar grading areas. But Justin Herbert is like the king. Of all of the highly volatile really difficult to, to sustain statistics whether it's the number one graded quarterback in the nfl on third down whether it's great under pressure whether it's great against the blitz whether it's great um in ugly down and distance situations that guy's just phenomenal at that stuff right now and even though he's been making sort of more big mistakes turnover worthy type plays whether or not they're they're getting caught or not he's making up for it by all of those big plays Whereas I think Joe Burrow has been way more consistent down to down, um, but hasn't had quite the spectacular stuff that that Justin Herbert has had all the way through his starting time so far. And then, you know, Tua's got some work to do. He's lagging behind those guys a little bit. But as you say, it's, it's one game from Tua. So let's see if he can hit the ground running next week
2: so reading some of your work earlier today uh, you wrote a little about drew Brees and the new orleans saints and talked about them as well now they're five and two so on paper you go okay cool right in the thick of things maybe they can make another run in the postseason maybe they can go a little further they're doing all of it without michael thomas and mostly without emmanuel sanders when you look at drew Brees, though what are you saying
5: well the thing with, with breeze and the saints is you have to judge them with the idea that this is a super bowl team right they load it up for a super bowl run in 2020 this is one last hurrah with drew Brees, a quarterback so you have to judge them by those standards They're, it's not good enough to just make the playoffs and then be one and done or to to be good but not good enough to actually contend this team needs to be judged by whether or not they can beat the very best teams in the nfl and win a championship and for most of the season i think at this point drew Brees has not been playing at that level he went on a little bit of a run where i think it was back and you know, his arm strength is going to be a problem all season long, but for that few games, his accuracy was back, his anticipation was back. and When those things are at their peak, he can still make throws deep down the field just because of the anticipation and how early he's able to put the ball in the air. But right now, like unless there's a lot more to come when they get back the likes of Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders and the players that they are missing right now, you've got to be a little bit concerned about whether this team can beat the best sides in the league when we get to January.
2: When you look at Russell Wilson, and I know there was so much made in the off season, he's never received an MVP, MVP vote or anything like that, throw that to the side, but you look at his body of work this season, the 26 touchdowns, the pace of potentially 59 touchdowns, what is the tape telling you about Wilson that maybe is even better this year than in the past?
5: I mean, he's playing incredibly. I think he's been playing very close to this level for the past couple of seasons, but the statistics have kind of met up with that in part because Seattle Seahawks, they've let him off the leash. You know, they're, they're doing that let Russ cook thing. They're actually giving him the opportunity to showcase what he's been doing for the past couple of seasons and putting him in more beneficial situations. You know, a lot of people, I think, still mistakenly believe that when you run the ball on early downs, You protect your quarterback because you're not asking him to do that much. But really all you're doing is putting him in tougher situations on third down more consistently and asking him to make more difficult throws in a more difficult situation. But when you let him pass on first and second down, you suddenly make his life much easier on third down and extend more drives so he can look better over the course of the game. And that's what we're seeing from Russell Wilson. I think he's playing a little bit better maybe than he has the past couple of seasons, but he's been right there at this kind of level. He's just finally getting the help from his coaching staff and from you know DK Metcalf emerging this year. And suddenly everything around Russell Wilson looks phenomenal and we're seeing the player that he's been for a while.
2: Sam Monson joining me, Keith Rosario on Coast to Coast. Follow him on Twitter, PFF underscore Sam. Let's stay out West and uh, take a look at the San Francisco 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo going to be out for a while. Kittle going to be out for a while. I, w- I want to dive into Garoppolo. I talked to earlier, earlier on the program about whether or not it's time for the Niners to start considering moving on from him. What do you think? Is it time for them to maybe move on from Garoppolo?
5: I think it's definitely a question that should be talked about within that building. You know, they have that contract built in such a way that there is an out they can get away without paying a ton of money and a ton of dead cap space and all the the terrible things that usually come with a contract a quarterback that has a monster contract. And at this point, whatever you think about his baseline level of play when he's healthy, his injury history is concerning. You know, there's only so long you can continue to persist with a guy that keeps getting hurt before you have to start asking those questions. And then the other thing at play is Kyle Shanahan might have the most quarterback-proof system and offense in the NFL. So we've seen that you can get reasonable play out of a guy like Nick Mullins. And it's not difficult to find viable quarterback play in today's NFL the way it used to be five, 10 years ago, you know, when you had to give a guy like Alex Smith a $100 million contract because the prospect of not having him Was so much worse i don't think that's true anymore and you could give a guy like like kyle shanahan you know a middling quarterback guys like andy dalton or marcus mariota were available for nothing essentially this offseason cam newton Jameis winston those guys don't have or couldn't find starting jobs right off the bat leaving their previous job any one of those players could walk into a starting job with the 49ers presumably cost less money than Jimmy Garoppolo is costing right now and still execute that offense to a really high level.
2: Yeah, it's funny. As you're, as you're mentioning all those names and you mentioned Dalton, I go, oh, and then there's Ben DiNucci. But although, he, I mean, he was the third string quarterback, so it doesn't really fair. Uh, it doesn't seem very fair to, to bag on him. All right, let's stay in the Thursday night football game Aaron Jones more than likely not going to play A.J. Dillon. We knew he was out. Now Jamal Williams is out. You got Tyler Irvin, Dexter Williams. Expectations for either of those running backs? What what are they?
5: It's going to be tricky. I think that offensive line has not been firing on all cylinders either. It's been very good as a pass blocking unit. It hasn't been quite as good as a run blocking group. And then the entire offense is kind of in, in flux at the moment until... They get Alan Lazard back and they have that proven secondary weapon outside of Devontae Adams. When they don't have that and Rodgers doesn't have that second guy that he implicitly trusts, the whole offense just stagnates a little bit in a way we've seen for the past couple of weeks. And it was one thing when it was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers doing it to them. It was another thing entirely when it was Minnesota and their group of cornerbacks that were coming in off the street. And uh, this that's not a good situation to be in. So the capacity for this team to have some production on the ground with those guys, even though, you know, they're buried on the depth chart. They're not guys that were anticipated to have big roles. But I think a lot of it comes down to whether the passing game functions the way we know it can, which will open up the space and take guys out of the box.
2: The Buccaneers didn't look great last night, but they they got the win. And I always say an NFL win is an NFL win. But now you've got Antonio Brown practicing all week this week, likely going to play in week number nine. How do you see the fit for a B with with Brady and with the Buccaneers offense?
5: It's an interesting one. I mean, Antonio Brown, if he's back to being, you know, what we know of him as one of the best receivers in the NFL, he upgrades every single wide receiver room in football. You know, from a pure on the field standpoint, he's as good as there is in the NFL, and there's definitely a big role for him there, particularly as guys like Chris Godwin keep getting injured, and you know, they haven't really had a healthy wide receiver group all season long. Brady's been making do with with whichever guy is healthiest and able to. To play. But I suspect, you know, early you might see quite a healthy dose of Antonio Brown as Brady tries to feed him the ball, get him involved, and, and make him feel like part of this whole thing. And then as everybody gets healthy, that's when it gets more interesting when we see quite how the roles of Godwin, of Brown, of Gronk, and Mike Evans all shake out and, and how those targets are going to get shared around.
2: Sam, great stuff. Love catching up, man. Hopefully, we'll talk again very soon.
5: Thanks, guys. Take it easy.
2: All right, there he is, Sam Monson. Follow him on Twitter, PFF underscore Sam, pro football focus. A lot of good stuff to kind of break down and digest there. I'm so intrigued by this Buccaneers team. When we get back, diving into the world of fantasy football, it's waiver wire day. We're going to help you fix your lineups. Keith Erzari, coast to coast Oh, yeah. Back here, coast to coast. Keith Errizarry and the whole crew is intact. I'm in for Scott for all week long. You got Mafia with you, me. Uh, you got Carver High is here as well. And boy, listen, we're, we're doing wagering, right? Like we're talking about over-unders, all that kind of stuff. But I, I want to dive into the world of fantasy football right now. It is waiver Wire Day. Do you realize, and, and I mean, you know, if you're on this network, you do. But if you don't. There's like five weeks left until you're going to be vying for a playoff spot, like getting into your fantasy football playoffs. And uh, I know all year long, this has been a rough year. You know, when McCaffrey goes out and Barkley goes out and Michael Thomas goes out. I mean, you're talking about three dudes that were taken within the top 10 of basically every single draft and CMC and Saquon were probably number one and number two, uh, depending on your league standards and scoring, but they probably were number one and number two. So, If you've been able to hold on, kudos to you. Fantastic. Hopefully you figured out good ways to, you know, hopefully you were lucky enough to go to the waiver wire and you, you picked up James Robinson earlier in the year. Maybe you got Claypool. Maybe you got Travis Fogum. Guys like that, Brandon Ayuk, now has been coming on as of late. There've been other players like Gio Bernard. When Mixon went out, Bernard has been a fantastic play the last two weeks. Jamal Williams has stepped over over the last two weeks in the place of Aaron Jones. So there's been ways to kind of finagle your your abilities to continue rolling along in fantasy football. Uh, This was a weird week, I will say that. There were some low scores winning in a lot of leagues and a lot of the uh, industry leagues. One of my industry leagues, I literally won with 98 points. And it it was just a weird, weird fantasy week. But brings us to our our waiver wire. I'm going to bring in Carver High for this one. It'll set me up for some potential names out there. I'll let you know uh, what kind of fab you should be spending on them or whether or not you should be uh, throwing a, a waiver priority on them or not.
6: Yeah, let's start, Keith, with some guys who could be some replacements on Thursday night even, because if you had Jimmy Garoppolo and uh, George Kittle, you're in a lot of trouble. We saw Nick Mullins earlier in the season when Jimmy G got hurt the first time. Of course, only rostered in like 1% of Yahoo leagues, mm. threw two touchdowns, a couple hundred yards. Would you uh, mind getting involved with Nick Mullins on Thursday night against the Packers,
4: Keith?
2: For argument's sake, your quarterback is, you know, on the bye this week. I would consider it. I don't, I, listen, I don't love it. And I'm not spending a lot of fab on him because I don't believe in him down the road when you look at the matchups against New Orleans coming up week 10. And then you also have a bye coming up, but he looked good, albeit some of it wasn't garbage time, but ended up with 283 passing yards, two touchdowns. You kind of know what you get with Nick Mullins. He's a dude. He's tough. He's going he's, he's gonna to take some hits, but he's also going to make some mistakes. Like, being a dude, and if you understand it, and you chuckled, so I think you know what that means. Being a dude is a good thing. It is, but it doesn't always mean wins.
6: Tight end position as well. We've got Kittle out. We've got a couple of options here just from the 49ers. We've got uh, the great Ross uh, Dwelly, who's 0% rostered. He had one catch, of course, 16-yard touchdown uh, when Kittle went out last week. You also could have jordan reed who has not played since week three keith so a couple options maybe uh for the 49er tight ends there
2: ross the boss dwelly yeah (laughs) no no No, thank you i'm out on ross if jordan reed is healthy remember if we go back to the beginning of the year when uh, Uh, jordan reed was plugged into the lineup dude can still play it's just always a matter of and and i know it's a touchy subject but the amount of concussions that he's had it's a little scary and it's, it's one hit and he's out. Uh, but if he's on the field, he's talented. And when you're a quarterback like Nick Mullins, you may need a security blanket. So if you're struggling at tight end, there's a few names out there. I know maybe you'll get to, uh, you know, a few of the other ones. I, I would monitor this. I would, I would t- t- try to research like crazy. And if you have the ability to, I, I might go and pick up Jordan Reed. And if worst case scenario, he's not available this week, you can put them on your bench, hold them to play against New Orleans, knowing that the bye week is coming up, and then following that, maybe you throw Jordan Reed in your lineups.
6: Now, Keith, I know that the running back position can be very fickle sometimes. I mean, these teams, you know, they've got two or three backs. You never know who's going to be the big guy. Last Sunday on FanDuel put the wager in for Jonathan Taylor to get over 70 and a half yards for the Colts. And what do I got to uh-huh. look at, Keith? I got to watch Jordan Wilkins uh, get 89 yards, a catch, uh, just have a monster game. Uh, is Wilkins somebody that you want to, you know, kind of maybe pick up? Stash, if you have Taylor, is he going to start to get more looks here? What do you think on Wilkins?
2: Stash is the perfect word because – what we're learning right now about the Colts is that we know nothing. And Frank Reich is, is not telling us anything either. It's the hot hand. Naheem Hines ends up getting, depending on what your scoring are, uh, his scoring is in, in your league, but about 21, 22 PPR points. Jordan Wilkins goes for 89 yards. And then it was Jonathan Taylor, 11 carries for 22 yards. And this is why fantasy football at times is so frustrating. And I know you'll agree with me on this one, Carver, because I feel like as a, a fantasy analyst, I'm essentially a meteorologist, right? I'm a weatherman and I can tell you all the science. I can tell you this streak and trend makes sense. And this offensive line is going to beat this defensive line. I can tell you why I can go to wide receivers and talk about air yards and your a dot. Like I can do all of that. And all it takes is your head coach seeing Jordan Wilkins run a little bit better for two or three carries early on and go, ah, I'm just going to go that way. Like I don't Carver, you were not wrong. In your estimation of Jonathan Taylor, you weren't. It just didn't work out that day. So I'll say I would throw a few bucks at Jordan Wilkins, but I'm not so sold on him because guess what's going to happen? This upcoming week against Baltimore, probably none of the running backs are going to do well. Jonathan Taylor (laughs) is going to end up getting more snaps, and we're going to be more confused.
6: Yesterday, we did a segment about the trade deadline, which, as you said earlier, ended up being an absolute bust. Nothing happened. But Marvin Jones was a name we threw around, you were saying – that if he ended up on a better team, more opportunities, he could really explode. He ends up staying with the Lions now. He did catch a touchdown last week. Uh, He had a pretty good game. Uh, Are you buying into Marvin Jones here as the Lions get ready to take on the Vikings this Sunday?
2: So here's why I will buy in on the guy that's owned at about you know 50% rostered in league, seven targets last week. It's pretty good. Uh, not a great ratio when you talk about just three catches, but did get the one touchdown. Here's why I'm buying though: Kenny Galladay looks like he may be out for weeks now. Matthew Stafford loves to sling the ball around. Who's he throwing to? Marvin Hall? No, he's going to be throwing to Marvin Jones. I think there's also an uptick for all of you. Uh, TJ Hawkinson shareholders anybody got TJ right now suddenly looks okay I'm feeling better about my tight end spot because we know TJ is talented it was just a matter of Stafford being able to spread the ball around I feel horrible for Galladay too he's going he's going to still get paid this offseason but he's going to be a free agent this offseason Someone's still going to pay him. That being said, I love watching this dude play. If we're going to throw it back to your original point, Marvin Jones may be at the top of everyone's waiver wire priority. If you're struggling at all in wide receiver, you have to assume that Marvin Jones goes from a seven target guy to about a 10 target guy. And once we get the double, double digit volume, I'm happy. I want that on my team. It's all about the volume.
6: Curtis Samuel, another wide receiver, Keith. He's a favorite of mine because for two years in a row now, I drafted him before the season started, expecting huge things, only to them drop him later on and watch him have two touchdown games on Thursday night football, one receiving, one rushing. Is it time to buy back in on Curtis Samuel now for the Panthers?
2: tread lightly because cmc is on his way back and that's going to claw into the way of someone like curtis samuel and i don't think that mike davis just gets forgotten on that team too i think they'll find ways to utilize him so while curtis samuel you got i almost feel like you have to go beyond the box score there right like don't just chase the two touchdowns for curtis samuel that being said I i will throw it out big fan of curtis samuel He's from Brooklyn when I was working at News 12 Bronx in Brooklyn back in like whatever was 06 covered him when he was at Erasmus Hall and you could always just see he was a different type of cat out there. He was bigger than Brooklyn football, so I'm excited that he's, you know, in the NFL and doing very well and I think there's a, a place for him on rosters, but nothing more than potentially flex worthy.
6: The Baltimore Raven backfield, always extremely crowded. You've got Gus the bus now going off for 87 yards and a touchdown last week. Dobbins had a really good game. Ingram close to coming back. Gus the bus in about 30% of leagues here, Keith. Uh, I like the Raven backfield, but it's just so crowded.
2: Again, crowded is the word. You're right. It feels very much akin to what we're seeing in Indianapolis, where you just don't know which guy is the guy. I think it's clear that Dobbins of the two, between Dobbins and Edwards, is the more talented running back. And there's a reason you draft him this year. And there's a reason why you give him the snaps. But it's weird. You watch Gus, and every time he's given an opportunity to play, he he'll get at least one 12 to 15 yard run in a game. He If you give him 15 carries, what did he get? 16 last week ends up going for 87 yards and a score again. Gus is another one of those guys. I think you, if you've got a deep bench in your league, pick him up, put him there, hold them. If Ingram never makes it back, you know that Gus is flex worthy. And if Ingram does drop him. that's it.
6: Couple somewhat bigger names to finish it off here, Keith. Uh, at the end, you've got Jalen Rager coming back from injury. Uh, in that, in the Eagles need wide receivers. We know Fulgham's been very good. Eric Ebron of the Steelers, tight end, and Drew Locke, ten percent rostered, uh, two hundred forty-eight yards, three touchdowns last week. Maybe another possibility if you had Jimmy G
2: so the drew lock one is intriguing right because he went for 248 this past week went for over 250 the week before and he's drawn the ire of so many a bronco fan but Mm -hmm. suddenly drew lock is quietly playing well and they're getting a little bit healthier there they're giving him weapons around there kj hamler made a great catch at the end of the game there drew lock uh going up against atlanta too. Feels like a a game where he could have a lot of success. I also just love the swag of Drew Locke. He's out there, you know, blowing on on his fake finger guns and dancing around. Uh, Rager, I'll hold off, I'm gonna buy next week. Eric Ebron intrigues me because of the tight end weaknesses. College football coming up next, maybe a little bit more NFL as well. Coast to coast, I'm Keith Rosari.
1: SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back here
2: coast to coast, Keith Rosari with you. The whole gang is here. Mafia and Carver High as we wind down in hour number two of the program. I'll be with you all week long for Scott Farrell. Let's dive into the world of college football because there's a few things to really uh, break down. But I I think the most important part right now is that we are looking forward to Clemson and Notre Dame. And I'm gonna throw it out there, like forget about the fact that Trevor Lawrence isn't playing, DJ will be under center. This is still a battle of Titans. This is, you know, uh, two top four teams in America, two teams that are now playing in the ACC, at least for this year. Uh, They potentially could see each other at least one more time, maybe even two more times, depending on how everything shakes out and if these teams both end up in the college football playoffs. So with some of the luster taken off, sure, Trevor Lawrence isn't there. But this is all about the big stage. Let's catch up with our man, the Notre Dame head coach, Brian Kelly.
4: Yeah, I mean,
5: we're 29-3, and three, you know, over the last 32 games. I think, you know, we're, we're not, a, a, you know, a team that's, that's easily, uh, you know, overcome with the moment. Uh, so uh, we're, we'll be just fine. You know, we've got to execute. And, and certainly the last time that we played poorly, uh, we've won 12 in a row. So, you know, <laughs> you got to execute. You got to play well in the moment. But this team is exhibited that, uh, you know, they're not a team that's going to back away from a challenge. And uh, when they're down, you know, they'll, they'll certainly uh, pick up their pace and, and uh, answer any challenges that are in front of them. I have no, no question about that.
2: Yeah, Notre Dame has won 22 consecutive games at home, dating back to September 30th of 2017. That was the voice of head coach Brian Kelly. I'm surprised that Clemson is five and a half point favorites, to be honest with you. Uh, When you saw what they did against Boston College last week and kind of getting taken to the woodshed in the first half, and yes, Clemson came back, and yes, uh, I I think that Dabo was trying to, like I said this yesterday, keep the kid gloves on DJ a little bit, didn't want to fully unleash him. I I thought this would have been closer. I, I would have thought more like two and a half, three and a half, but it's a five and a half point favorite at this moment. Right now, I would feel pretty confident taking Notre Dame. We'll make this pick official later in the week, but right now that's the way I kind of view that one. And, and I think that this is such a battle and I'll say battle of Titans because there's so many opposing forces here when you kind of break it down, right? You've got, Notre Dame who leads the ACC and is a top 10 national ranking in total defense and then scoring defense, right? You've got, you know, Dalen Hayes, the ACC defensive lineman of the week after what he and the rest of the team did against Georgia tech. So that is something to definitely monitor. Now. We look at the running backs. You've got Williams from Notre Dame, who's just like a tick below, a hair below what Travis Etienne has been doing as well. Williams, one spot behind him in the ACC and the national ranks with 600 rushing yards. That's a big note. Let's go through seven games. What we've seen from both of these teams, Clemson is averaging 46.1 points per game. That leads the acc is second nationally behind alabama at 47.2 then we go to notre dame and their pass defense so let's continue to break down numbers this is a way to kind of figure out who can win this game i love doing this kind of stuff allows me to nerd out a little bit uh number one pass defense in america rather in the acc is the irish and ninth in america so can this secondary and the rest of this past defense kind of just like mess with DJ, this young quarterback. And, and then what can Travis do, right? All right? so how about the Clemson Tigers? 28 sacks, 65 tackles for loss, second and third respectively in the nation. So now what do we see there? It's going to be maybe tough sledding for Ian Book, knowing that this offensive line, which I'll get to in a second if you know what your name is, is full of a bunch of just like bulldogs on the offensive line. But this clemson defense you know what venables likes to do they're going to come at you they're going to try to punch you in the mouth and that's what a clemson tiger defense has become over the last couple of years now to notre dame so i said i was going to talk about the guys in the trenches this offensive line 137 career starts they've got five veterans you got one junior two seniors and two grad student starters so you know the moment is not going to be too big for them by any stretch of the imagination notre dame is going to be ready they're going to be raring to go i think notre dame definitely feels like no one gives them a chance i think if i if i were running things in notre dame i got bulletin board material all over the place i'm saying this outlet said we stink that outlet said we stink They're not giving you any chance. Trevor's not even playing. They think some true freshman DJ is coming in here into our house and taking us down. Like, I'm doing all the rah-rah stuff that I can possibly do. I am shaking things up. I am making my boys in that locker room feel like it's us against the world. No one believes in you. Look to your left. I'll pause. Look to your right. And then pause. Look at your brother in front of you. He believes in you. He believes in you. And so does he. Fight for each other. In the ACC, sacks allowed just 11. That's what the Notre Dame offensive line has given up 11 total sacks that leads the ACC. And they rank second in the nation in rushing offense with 231 yards per game. Carver, hi. You're our Notre Dame guy. I kind of broke down all the the comparisons there. We'll do this on and off throughout the week, and I'm not getting your official pick today. I think we should wait and do that on Friday. With that being said, on the Notre Dame side of things, when I broke down offensive line and and what they do in the secondary, all that kind of stuff, what do you think is the most important thing for Notre Dame come this weekend?
6: They need to be able to throw the football a little bit. Uh, I think that sometimes in these big spots, and I know that Coach Kelly wants to sell you the 29-3 and over the past 32 games, yada, yada, yada. Um, The question is still out there. When they play teams like Clemson and Alabama, it doesn't go well for them, and they need to change that narrative themselves on the field, all the bulletin board material like you just said. I think they need to establish the pass. They are a run-heavy team and Clemson is going to come in to stop that run. Yeah, They did it last, and when they played in the playoff last time. Clemson took away what they do best and the Irish could not adjust. The Irish have to adjust and be able to throw the football Keith. That is how they're going to win this game. I'm not worried about them on D. They slowed them down in that playoff game. They did. It is their offense. They need to score points to win this football game.
2: And I think that you saw Clemson can give up points, right? Give it up points to Boston College uh pretty, pretty like easily in that first step. Carver, your daughter is young. You don't coach her in sports yet. Let me ask you that.
6: Not yet. No, she'll be four in December. So we still got a little time soon. So <laughs> can, I, can I, can I tell you here's what you're going to love? Okay.
2: Cause I, I just working with you now two days. I feel like we, we have a similar bond in a few things. The ability to give one of those speeches, like I just joked around doing right there. Yeah i've gotten the opportunity to do those and the fun part about them with young kids is that you don't you don't curse like at all so you right. gotta like really figure out your your word usage and i i had one in in my older son's flag football uh league it was was it this year or last year it was it was last year uh we were playing a team that clearly did not think that we could beat them and and i did the whole gentlemen, get in here. Like, I, I, I didn't get close, right? Get in here. Look across, look across at the kid in front of you. That's the only person you trust. That guy, that <laughs> team, they think you stink. I did. I did it. I swear to God. And afterwards, I spoke to my nine-year-old son, Austin. I'm like, yo, dude, so what do you think of the speech? He goes, I was so, I thought it was awesome, dad. Just so you know, we did win that game too. Yes.
6: So I'm (laughs) so I'm gonna get the opportunity, Keith. You're saying down the road, I'll get the chance to do a full Pacino in any given Sunday. The inches in front of us are every that whole. I'll get the opportunity down the road to do that, right?
2: if you don't do it i'm going to be like offended and actually disappointed in you like and it works for every sport too and at every level like you could do it when your daughter let's say she's five years old and playing on a soccer in a soccer game let's say whatever whatever it is and you're playing a little scrimmage you totally can pull the, pull them aside and do the all right so i just want you to know that team over there they think you got cooties they do they <laughs> They're they're gonna try to knock you down, like like little things <laughs> like that work, and and your kids are gonna be like We're gonna
5: win this game.
6: <laughs> let's go. Let's go. <laughs> I love
2: it. They, they, think, they think you got cooties. Oh, oh yeah, my god. All right. Back to back to Clemson Notre Dame. How, how do you kind of gauge the running back situation too? Because it really is two of the better running backs in America. And I think that your guy in Notre Dame doesn't get the credit that he deserves.
6: He does not get the credit. Uh, Williams is a terrific back. Uh, I wish he would have ran for 20 more last week and gave me that prop of 97.5. They took him out of the game at 78, so that was unfortunate for me. But Williams, very good. Etienne is the best in the business. Let's be fair. I mean, this guy's been doing it for a long time. This is his big swan song this year. Wants to go out with a bang. Uh, I think that he's slightly a little bit better than Williams. But it's going to come down to Ian Book on Saturday. This is Ian Book's shot. Uh, he's been there for a while. This is his chance to get it done, Keith, as far as I'm concerned.
2: I, I, you know, I, I, I'm stupid. I should have looked at What time is that game?
6: That is a night game. We've got a 7.30 oh, awesome. night okay. game in South Bend. They, 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 they used to never do it, right? But now NBC's got them two or three times a year. They pull out the night game for the biggest Notre Dame home game. So this is as big as it gets right here.
2: I love it. I, I haven't looked at the weather yet to see if that'll be a factor um in Neither South Bend. I. I know it on the East Coast, we're supposed to be getting 60 degree weather later. Than, yesterday was felt like 36 degrees. It was basically winter. That's what the northeast is. Today was windy, but in the, the low fifties. Tomorrow's supposed to be high fifties. And then I heard by Thursday or Friday, we can get like sixty-five degree weather potentially. I I it's I gonna would... be like tank top <laughs> weather again.
6: I was checking the weather for Bills Seahawks this Sunday up in Western New York, uh, the one o'clock game last Sunday, miserable rain, wind. When the Patriots were in town, it's going to be in the mid to high sixties for when the Seahawks, I don't know, you know, they they're used to that weather anyway, up in Seattle. So it doesn't matter. But I think that that's going to lead to more of a track meet maybe between the Bills and the Seahawks this Sunday.
2: Peel back the curtain. You think Scott Farrell is somewhere later this week in a, in a tank top, you know, sipping a drink and just uh, catching rays. <laughs>
6: Scotty does like his rays. I know that. I, I think he's this this trip this this week off. I think a little bit of a staycation. But even if he's at home, he's going to find a way to get the rays when he's hooping in the backyard, Keith. Because he's got to go out there and shoot like three hundred and fifty jumpers. So if you think it's going to be sixty-five or seventy on Saturday, he'll be out there shirt off, getting the rays, putting all the jumpers in in the backyard.
2: Have you played basketball with him? Because, I mean, the the first time that we talked, you know, whatever, it was two, three weeks ago, we talked about playing basketball. And I, like, Kevin Dexter used to do updates for you guys when yeah. you were over at a different network. Um, him and uh, Kevin's one of my good friends. So I'd heard that, you know, Scotty was a, was a good basketball player. We ended up, Scott and I talked for 25 minutes just getting to know each other a little bit because we hadn't, you know, we knew each other in passing but not real conversations. Right. We spent about 18 of them talking about playing basketball. Oh. That's about it
6: loves hoops loves hoops i've seen the videos of him playing uh i you know i'm on long island he's in jersey so mafia plays with him mafia plays with him all the time he'll give you the full scouting report but scotty can play man he can get up and down the court you can put it in the hole
2: (laughs) Yeah, i'm all i'm all in on that i I, we gotta at some point you know obviously the world has to be normal again but at some point when the world is a little bit more normal um and now that i'm part of this family i I, i say we all get a get get a game going We'll get a little two on two. I guess it I guess Austin, if Mafia plays with him, it's it's me yeah. and you versus, versus it, Scott Long and Mafia. Island,
6: Long Island, versus Jersey, Keith. That's what it'll be. Long Island versus I, Jersey. Right? Let's go.
2: Yeah. And 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 if we're and, and if we're we're always gonna be honest, Long Island always beats New Jersey. It's just it's as simple as always. that. Long Island wins. Facts. New Jersey loses. Um don't don't <laughs> at me on that one. Ah, Nice. All right, we're gonna talk some more. We're gonna talk about those hashtag facts. I like it. Cowboys have more problems. We'll dive into those when we return. It is coast to coast. I am Keith Ari and for Scott Farrell. Do not go anywhere. You're
1: right back sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24/7, as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com
2: as we are winding down here coast to coast keith erizari with you Uh, some stats that jumped out to me from the buccaneers game so how about this in the super bowl era 72 QBs have trailed at halftime in at least 50 starts. Of all 72 quarterbacks, Tom Brady's win percentage of 432 in those games is the third highest. Carver High, I'm going to put you on the spot. Two quarterbacks, both are good quarterbacks, like, like very good quarterbacks, have better win percentages when trailing at halftime in at least 50 starts. Who would your guess
6: be? Uh, this one is one currently plays. This is okay, one. Brady, yeah, one Brady. currently
2: plays. Yes, one currently plays. One is already retired.
6: Okay, I'll go with Brady. And yeah, I'll go Brady Manning. Brady Manning. How about that? No,
2: no, no Manning. So the no retired Manning. one, the retired one never played with Brady.
6: Okay. Um, Joe Montana. Montana. Sorry, I already gave it to He's you. Joe Montana. And, go and there's Montana, one guy. LA, one of those. Yeah.
2: One guy currently has a better win percentage at 454. He plays in the NFL still currently.
6: At 454, uh, um, Philip Rivers.
2: Uh, let Russ Cook, man. Come on. Let Russ Cook. There let you go. Russ Cook. So the answer is I was, going, is for, Russell I was going, Wilson. going for length
6: there. Length, I was going for amount of time in the league. Uh, I
2: hear another cool stat Drew Brees 14 overtime wins most by a starting quarterback ever and guess what you'll have Brees you'll have Brady uh, coming up uh, in this week excited about that one lots of good stuff today Sarah Langs was awesome Sam Monson was awesome mafia Carver high lot of fun as always remember if you can't trust me how can you trust yourself tomorrow dive into some of the uh, NFC, AFC odds for who can actually win those conferences. I am Keith Arizari. Catch you again tomorrow. Coast to coast. Later.
1: sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com
6: build digital first customer relationships with salesforce digital 360 connect every marketing commerce and digital experience on a single platform Innovate fast with easy-to-launch sites, campaigns, and apps. That's more relationships, more revenue, more return, and more success. Salesforce Digital 360. Hear from our customers at sfdc.co slash digital360.